0: Hey everyone, this is Mary and before we get into the episode, I just wanted to take a quick minute and remind you that you can pre-order our book, Dolls of Our Lives, Why We Can't Quit American Girl, um, at any bookseller of your choice. You can go to bookshop.org where you'll find our own store with a link to buy it from any independent bookseller. You can also go to our website, dollsofourlivespod.com, with another link to, again, buy it anywhere you want to buy your favorite books. We so appreciate all of you supporting our show, and we're so excited to share our book with you. We'll also be recording and releasing an audiobook version of the book, and we look forward to sharing that information with you soon. Thanks again, everyone. We really so, so appreciate all of you.
1: So as we're recording, it is barely autumn, which I think is actually a great time to ask you which of Betty Ford's ornament patterns you would like to pursue first.
0: Absolutely. You know, I love a Betty Ford moment.
1: Okay. I'm going to do this kind of as like runoffs. Would you rather make a paper silhouette looks to be teddy bear shaped or a clothespin cardinal?
0: Uh, teddy bear silhouette.
1: Okay. So teddy bear silhouette is advancing. How about a cookie cutter tree toy or a soap snowflake?
0: Cookie cutter tree toy every time.
1: Okay. So cookie cutter is moving ahead the, you know, creme de la creme is the nut person, which I think is kind of evocative of Julie's choice to make seed jewelry. Like, which of these is going to advance to like the top of your Christmas list?
0: So the nut person isn't Nixon? The nut person is not Nixon, and you do need a drill. What? Okay, well, I'm probably not. Well, actually, I do want a drill now, so I'll, I just want to flex on that. So I'll pick that, even though I have actually no idea what that is.
1: Do you think that ultimately we're going to go with the cookie cutter tree toy? That feels right to me. It's
0: both functional and fashionable. So I think that's okay. where we have to go.
1: I like it. Thank you, Betty Ford. This is Thank clearly you, your Betty most Ford. important contribution.
0: RIP. Thank you, like pro-ERA, pro-choice queen, only Republican. I will stand on this podcast. Thank you. Go, 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 go. Welcome to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary.
1: I'm a nut person. No, I'm Allison.
0: (laughs) Did you ever see that clip of Stevie Nicks when she was on Oprah's Masterclass and she was like listen, if you want to do cocaine, you need to have $50,000 because that's how much Betty Ford costs. And let me tell you something, Betty Ford saved my life. And like, she actually like met Betty Ford at Betty Ford.
1: That's that's impressive, honestly. I think of Betty Ford and I think that is like a super important part of her legacy. I did not know that Betty and Gerald went this hard on the holidays.
0: I didn't know that either. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I feel like Christmas at the White House is like an entire production that I really feel for the team that has to put up the Christmas trees and all of that. Like, I just feel like that must be kind of a nightmare, like maybe fun if you're someone who enjoys decorating, but it seems like a whole operation.
1: I think for Betty and Gerald, it was kind of like, okay, we need the country to heal and no, we're we're not really going to be like super expansive and, and necessarily, unless I am just missing it, but they went pretty hard on Christmas ornaments. I think that felt really important to them because that's what they were celebrating. Mm. And they were like, here's an important publication, a nutshell history of the American Christmas tree. They're like maybe you don't know that. Like maybe you don't have that ready to go.
0: Well, I mean, as we learned in this book, nothing says let's bring the family back together and provide some healing like a sort of sad decoration of a Christmas tree.
1: Yes, and I think that there is a straight line from Betty Ford's 1975 decisions to Pleasant Rowland, and I'll explain One of the ways that they decorated in early December 1975, which was they pulled things from the Abby Aldrich Rockefeller folk art collection, which we have seen at Colonial Williamsburg. It's beautiful. And they wanted to make sure that they had a 19th century camel to have a, quote, old-fashioned Christmas in America, (laughs) also known as a Williamsburg Uh, children's Christmas.
0: Okay. I do
1: think that Pleasant Rowland was basically flipping through something and said, like, if we can't have the ERA we will have an old-fashioned Christmas.
0: That's right. Camel or bust. I mean, it's... I don't know if Pleasant was supportive of the ERA. Like, I'm going to guess she wasn't. But, you know, I I do see her as being an old-fashioned Christmas kind of gal.
1: I think the pay equity, she definitely was down. And I think the existence of Julie, it's pushing the needle for me.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think Pleasant, from the research and stuff we've done on her was definitely someone who believed in the goals of feminism, like equal pay and you know equal credit, etc., but was hesitant to take on the word feminist or feminism, which is also like of the reflected in the Julie books, at least so far.
1: I love Julie. Like I'm very excited to talk about Happy New Year Julie. I think part of what's kind of magical about this character for me is I just love a six book format and I love really good illustrations. And I think I almost automatically connect better to characters that have those two things.
0: I think that's definitely true. Like the six book arc is something that I'm definitely way more comfortable with. So I feel like kind of at home in these books, like the six book arc. Also, she wears a lot of jeans and that's also something (laughs) that makes me feel at home. And also I want to say like this six book arc to my mind is the one that's the most feelings forward that I've read. Like, there's a lot of conversation about kind of, I think, a lot of attention to her emotional life and also just like sitting with feeling sad or disappointed or like navigating tough feelings. And I actually really respect that.
1: It's also different, and I'm sure we'll get into this. It's a different way of looking at a holiday where there isn't some sort of like string of hijinks, like, there's actual interior upset and there are disappointments that I think are very real and very relatable and it was super interesting to situate this as a surprise book that takes us into the new year right like that the focus is yeah. actually not a kind of reveal around a Christmas tree or it's not the same kind of holiday anticipation I think this book has the most overlap with Molly's surprise of anything that we've read for reasons we can talk about but I don't want to get us like too far down the Christmas path just yet.
0: Yeah. Before we jump into the book, like what are some pop culture things that are rocking your world at the moment? What's on your mind?
1: You know, honestly, this is a well that I will just keep going back to. There was a new season uploaded of Married at First Sight. And it's like, if they're willing to marry a stranger, I am willing to watch. Like (laughs) I will give you 14, 15, 17 hours of my time I just adore it. I have to be honest. <laughs> how is it?
0: How's the new season? I haven't seen it yet.
1: So I'm watching new in the sense of what's being added to streaming services. I'm I'm less concerned about what comes out. I just really enjoy the premise and I like that I've now seen almost every season of the show. So I know how they've evolved and... Something I have been able to kind of watch over time, there are couples that feel like they are authentically matched. And I think there are couples that are set up to fail for reality TV. And I like to watch on a program like where I start to see the producers, like Mm. no longer really having that interest in the people at all. Like there are a few seasons where it's so apparent. This was like, you know, a match in gasoline. It's like, This should work, you know, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, for whatever reason, have retreated to like a British mystery place once again. So like, I don't know if I'm in crisis, like I'm fine, but that's like my comfort food. But I do need to kind of find a new reality show that will capture and hold my attention. I'm hoping it's Golden Bachelor. I don't know if you're going to go on this journey, but it's starting soon ish. Um. I don't know. I don't know how, don't know how it's going to he? go. He's like 70. Now I got to to confirm this. I think he's like 72.
1: Okay. And, so could Julie be on it?
0: Oh, man. Don't make me do that math. Gary. Grandpa Gary is 72 years young. And the women are roughly his age or like, I would say a range from 60 to 73. So, so she's know. in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a friend of mine was like, do you think that dates are gonna be like a will preparation or like you know what I mean? Like is it gonna be like playing on their age? And I don't know. I hope that's not what happens. I'm I'm afraid it's gonna run in the other direction where it's like Yeah. You know literally
1: running. Oh God.
0: I mean, one of these women looks just like Chris Jenner. So that's intriguing. But I don't know if I can handle it. We'll see. I've been sitting out the past couple of seasons just because it got to be a little bit too much for me and I was busy with other things. But, you know, I'll dip back in. I don't know. I'm open to it. We'll see.
1: I like that they're experimenting with format. I do want to recommend a book that I liked a lot, which is Jill Duggar's memoir came out this month. Okay. And just like us, she read her own audiobook, and we're covering this in our Patreon book club in October. I really think it's a very interesting book, and I would recommend that people pick it up and also read her sister Ginger's memoir because they say different things that I think are, not that I think, that are both true about their personal experiences going through the same kinds of family life. And I think something that it's really hit home for me is The extent to which, like, when we were coming of age, we watched children who are about our age grow up on TV and the way that it happened so casually, like a snowball going downhill. Like, Jill's family was offered a special and then another special and then a limited season and then more Mm. TV. And I think it's easy to look back, you know, as we've talked about Britney Spears or, like, the way that the media has treated certain people and cast it in a certain light. And I think especially with these reality TV families like the Duggars, the Gosselins, it just snowballed out of control. And now we're able to look back and now some people's NDAs have expired and think about it a little bit differently. So I highly recommend that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is kind of surreal to think that, you know, millennials and beyond what like listening We all grew up with reality TV kind of figuring itself out as a genre. And now the children who were filmed as children, often without knowledge or consent or like being capable of consenting to it. And no one really even knowing kind of like the long trail of being on reality TV at that time, like those people are now adults and are starting to kind of speak out about it. And I think it's really interesting to see how people reflect differently On those experiences,
1: her family and you should read the book, but her family's, you know, kind of catch all coming from the parents down was that this was their ministry. And so Jill never really thought in the way that, you know, if you're a very religious person devoted to a missionary life, really never thought about the money. And it's Mm. not until she's in her 20s and she's being put in compromising situations that she has avowedly said she doesn't want to do and she's being told it's for ratings that she questions that. And I think that's an interesting story for people to follow because it's easy from the outside to say, well, why would you not ask questions? She had a perfectly good reason why she didn't ask questions for, I think she says, about 13 years of no compensation
0: yeah, I mean, that's wild to me. Like, I think I read some headline or something advertising the book that, like, cumulatively, they eventually get, like, a hundred-something thousand dollars, like, she and her husband, for their participation across, like, over a decade, you know, between her and her husband.
1: There's a famous moment, and I don't think this is a spoiler, where um, her father, Jim Dug- Duggar, offers multiple members of the family basically an $80,000 payout to start their lives as preteens or adults. And uh, Jill's husband is one of the people who asks, like, well, what have they earned? Right. Like he starts asking other questions and there are tax reasons why he's asking certain questions. And with the $80,000 comes a lifelong NDA.
0: Wow. And
1: some of the people who have signed it, you've heard nothing from. And I think it's very telling who didn't sign it and who didn't take 80,000 Jill married an accountant. So he's able to ask different questions than people who maybe don't have that life experience to ask.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. Wow. Um that's interesting. And we'll be covering Britney Spears book which is coming out next month um Mm -hmm. in the next few months on our patreon so if that's of interest to you you can join us there for that and we'll be reading this month a book about um teen shows in the 90s and 2000s fictional shows so like dawson's creek and the oc and so on so if thinking about growing up on tv behind the camera in front of it is of interest you know check out our Patreon and also we did mention casually that we just did our audiobook which we were both not casual about in practice um you know training to perform as yourself some might say it's like preparation of a lifetime <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean Julie just picked up a recorder and didn't need any training at all. That was not the case for me, so time will tell. I feel,
0: I feel that. I mean, I feel like I should have watched Inside the Actor Studio or something to like really get into character, or, like figure out how to do it. But I think we both like pulled through it and I do think it will be very fun. Um, you know, potentially. But if you want to listen to us read our book, you can pre order it now on you can find the link on our website, I believe. But um yeah it was a cool experience like I didn't know how audiobooks were produced behind the scenes but it was you know it was intense like I was like wow I just felt like a lot of pressure like I want to do a good job and we had great people behind the scenes helping us so thank you to them and yeah I'm excited for it to come out
1: absolutely I think people who listen to the show I think it will be a different experience than maybe reading the book and There's different things, right? Like the hardcover book will have photos. Like, I think depending on how you process this material or how you like to listen to things, there's like a little bit of something for everyone. So,
0: absolutely. And thank you to our director, Caitlin, and my engineer, Ashley, and Spike, and our editor, Kat, everyone at Macmillan. And, you know, they made it a a great experience. So, you know, with that being said, are we ready to get into another great experience and talk about yes. Happy New Year, Julie?
1: Yes. Happy New Year, Joy came out in 2007, and this covers a Christmas and New Year's story. I found a very short overview, but I want to give us the slightly longer one because I think that this book has a lot of complexity. Julie knows the holidays will be difficult this year, but when her sister, Tracy, refuses to go to dad's house for Christmas, Julie feels as if her family is falling apart. Over the holidays, Julie finds comfort spending time with her best friend, Ivy Ling. The Lings are getting ready for Chinese New Year and helping with their preparations distracts Julie from her sadness about her own family. Then she learns that her whole family is invited to the Lings New Year Banquet. Julie tries to share Ivy's excitement, but her heart sinks. With mom, dad, and Tracy there, how will they all get along? Hint, they don't. No, they do <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's, this book had so, this book, there's a lot of, like, emotional levels to this book, but, because on there's one reading of this book that's, like, not much changes. Like, she's still mm-hmm. concerned about, like, can her family... I think by book three she's accepted the parents are going to get back together but i think she's still kind of like trying to navigate can we still be a family like if my parents aren't a couple can we still be a family i think that's like the central tension but and we walk through this like having this all play out over christmas like the holidays just add a lot of stress to every equation
1: this is also i think a really remarkable book in a lot of ways because There is such an expectation, and we've talked about this before, kind of like maternal magic in just about every single American Girl book, probably except for Kaya's, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That there is some kind of magic created by women, whether that is Rebecca's family around the holidays. I think our most notable example goes back to Felicity. I absolutely loved that part of this book was a very real situation, which is that some people work. Right. Like some yeah. people are in life-saving professions or they're in retail and they are not just off on Christmas Eve and they are not just home. And I think that this book really smartly compounds family questions about, you know, who's going to do what with just a reality. And and I, I think where I ended up on a lot of tangents researching behind this book mom has kind of become working class, right? You kind of get the sense that this family was well off, which is why I researched pilots' salaries in 1975. Part of the change for this family is- they're not in a comfortable situation where everyone is able to celebrate. Mom has to keep working and has to keep the store open right up until the last second.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting choice in this book to kind of have us walk with Julie and Tracy to mom's house where she has, you know, gone down a class ladder where, as you say, she's now firmly working class. She has to work on Christmas Eve. And you also get this explicit description that they want a christmas tree and they can't have one because it's expensive and clearly the mom is like paying attention to budgets in a way that you kind of get a sense that they haven't before but -hmm. what's interesting is while that's all happening and they're kind of like finding your feet dad is still like bawling not on a budget that's how it feels (laughs) so like dad's still living like the old life like i would love to hear your research on pilot salaries because like, it seems like Julie and Tracy have a foot in each world now of like very different households, like economically.
1: And I will say whenever you get interested in, okay, so how much would people have made back then? It's very complicated to actually translate some of these things. Right. But I found an archival source that had uh, for the airline industry, gross monthly earnings for the year 1975. We do not know dad's rank on the airplane, so we're going to say on the lower end, his gross monthly earnings were $2,500, and on the higher end, he was making $4,300 as a commercial pilot. Again, we don't know how he ranks on the airplane He's home for the holidays, so I feel like maybe he has a little bit more pull. I think there's a Mahoney who could answer that also very That's well. right. That's right. That's a lot of money, $4,300 as a gross salary. Again, it's hard to exactly translate. That's just over 24000 today. And I'm, I'm not saying pilots are making, I'm not saying that pilots are making 24000 a month at the high end today, but dad is pulling in a very considerable salary. And I think it's so notable. And to me, like the actual interest in this book is, what does Tracy know that no one else will say? There mm. is so much resentment towards dad. Maybe there's resentment towards dad because he's pulling in like, the equivalent of a $300,000 salary and mom had to move them in above the shop.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, the question we introduced last episode of like, what what does Tracy know and when did she know it? Like, that's something we're going to say a lot this episode because- There's clearly just a lot of subtext with the resentment that Tracy has towards dad, which kind of comes to a head in this book in some ways, like not fully resolved. We have a lot of questions. But I mean, dad casually reveals towards the end of the book that he once flew the U.S. tennis team, Olympic tennis team to China. Yeah, So I'm like, this guy's not entry level. Like he's up there.
1: And, He's dad CIA. I'm saying I mean, it. Uh,
0: I think it's a great question to ask because, again, we have to deal with the timing. This was past tense when he did this. Like, did I don't know. I don't remember if he said a year that he
1: did that. But like. It would have been 71. OK, probably. so
0: it would have been 71. So Nixon goes to China on February 21st, 1972. We don't fully establish diplomatic relations with China until 1979. So dad is there before Nixon. And like, that means something to me where I'm like, in what capacity, sir? Like, I don't think private pilot.
1: Sorry, I said 71 because that is when the U.S. table tennis team goes to China. That's April 71. There was a big 50th year anniversary celebration about two years ago. And we'll link to a really cool State Department online exhibit about some of the actual stuff that people brought, and a oh, pretty cool. famous red uh, ping pong. I'm obviously such a sports person. Uh, sure, baton,
0: um, racket. Um, <laughs> I'm co- I'm Googling this. Hold on. What is a ping I was pong? Just
1: on the. Uh, all I know Club? about this actual incident is from Forrest Gump.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Which I recently rewatched on TikTok. But okay, it's a Department, paddle.
0: It's a paddle. It's a paddle. Of course okay. it's a
1: paddle. That's on me. That's on me. So there's over 20 years, right, where there's basically no diplomatic ties at all and almost no contact, according to the State Department. And this is something that I love about Julie. And I think people were... Rightfully comparing their childhoods with knowledge of the Gulf War, right, as being sort of a comparable event to Julie, maybe being aware of Watergate or not being aware. It's not that Julie should or shouldn't have known about a certain thing. It's the randomness of what she knows a lot about. Yes, like, yes. mom goes out of her way to educate her about the ping pong diplomacy. <laughs> Julie knows all about Title IX. She's curious about Watergate. It's no just clue something about Watergate. I love about her.
0: It is something, and I actually sat my mom down this week, and I was like, "Look, what did you know about Watergate, and when did you know it?" And she was like, mm-hmm. "Where is this coming from?" And look, my mom was. 15, I want to say, when Watergate was going down, maybe 14. And I'm like, you knew basic facts, right? Like, I mean, were you curious? And she was like, yeah, kind of. I don't know. Like, but she knew what happened. Like, she knew what happened. Was she watching the hearings? No. But she knew, like, kind of that it was like the biggest story in the news. And yeah, she was older than Julie at this point. But I kind of feel like sort of incredulous that Julie's like, the thing I have a, like, encyclopedic knowledge of is Title IX, not like Correct. a passing reference or knowledge of Watergate.
1: I think later she's going to develop, you know, an almost, you know, extreme interest in Billie Jean King. I think that hasn't happened quite yet. I think her sister, Tracy, is kind of already there. What happens in the early part of this book is is a pretty basic sibling conflict, but it's about whether Tracy owes dad a visit, right? And it's very clear that dad is choosing to really not be in a good relationship with at least one of his daughters. And this really frustrates Julie, who kind of pulls her sister close and says, you know, like, there is something for you at dad's house. There's dad. And the sister says, if dad misses me, then it's his fault for getting divorced. If he didn't want to be apart from us, then how come we had to move out? I don't think that's an illegitimate question.
0: I think that actually is a fair question because I think we've been asking from book one, why is it that dad kept this like probably good sized house for himself and is comfortable with his daughters living full time? Like, I guess I understand that mom's probably get preferential treatment at least then in terms of like who kids get to live with full time and the mom was like i'm living above the store cuz probably that's what she can afford at this moment but it does feel very odd to me that dad is like living in their house alone
1: it feels very strange that his life is not really super disrupted but both girls are changing school systems I have to believe that that's part of kind of a subtle criticism of him, right? Or kind of of, you know, that system at that time.
0: Yeah, and I think I think it's a a kind of reminder that like in that moment the law and most things probably privileged him and like the fact that he was the breadwinner and like making things okay for him. And in fact, like he gets the privilege of being passive with Tracy. Like he kind of just keeps throwing up his hands and he's like, well, I'm letting her lead the way. Like, in other words, like I'm not really like pursuing a relationship with her. We'll see what happens. But like, he's kind of not even showing up for Julie. Like it's sort of not great.
1: No, and part of what happens in this book is we're learning more and more that Julie is willing to stay at Dad's for holidays that are a bit awkward and for school vacations that are very awkward because her best friend and the Lings are still next door, right? So that's part of the pull for her there. I chose to look up what recorders would have cost Dad back in this time period, and let's assume even if he got a deal. He purchased or kind of randomly gave her a gift before the holidays that was worth um or sorry that cost him about a hundred dollars, which wow. is a really expensive gift, right? Even today, if you had limited contact with a child in your life and you kind of now, 50 years later, randomly gave them a hundred dollar present. I think that there's more going on in this family. And as an adult reader, I'm very intrigued by that in a way that Melody's family did not intrigue me. What do you mean? So I feel like we knew enough to be satisfied about the interior lives of Melody's parents and her siblings were very vibrant, interesting characters, I feel like there is a whole backstory that is needed to explain Tracy's ongoing behavior and the differences in Julie's ongoing behavior Mm -hmm. because we're taken down the same road two times in a row. We're taken down in book two and three a convoluted path that forces the parents back together a la Parent Trap Sans Twins why
0: yeah and i mean i i think like what i keep coming back to is like they can't it seems like both tracy and julie can't can't accept that this is the new normal and they're reacting to it in different ways which is like tracy's just full-on refusing to accept the new terms of the arrangement like she doesn't want to go back like if she can't it feels like with tracy if she can't be in the house as she was she doesn't want to be there at all So like, she's not going back to see, she has not gone on any of the weekend visits. And the beginning of the book is like really sad. Where like, they're trying to get a tree and they can't afford one. So then what's his name? Like the Vietnam vet is like, you can babysit this potted tree for two weeks. And then I'm taking it to the veteran center. And they were like, wow, yeah. And like, you're like, okay, like kind of sad, but okay. And they have like this very kind of homespun what Dolly Parton would call a hard candy Christmas with the mom where they're like, we need to, mom, we're like, where's the family ornaments? And she's like, ooh, like didn't have storage for that here. And so like they literally have no trappings of their life before with mom and they have to start fresh and make something new, but they find joy in that together, which is really fascinating because then they go to dad's for actual Christmas day after Julie basically emotionally manipulates Tracy to go with her. Which I was surprised. I thought Tracy was going to hold out and say, absolutely not. But she ends up no. like acquiescing.
1: And dad doesn't really have the best plan. Like dad is kind of doing the best that he can. But we learned that the special cookies that he is providing were actually cooked by a neighbor. Yes, that was a little bit of a letdown. Dad then basically tries, like, he's trying everything. He's like, why don't we start a fire? Why don't we try to do this? (laughs)
0: We could do a puzzle. We could play a game.
1: ever the, like, you know, aficionado of the newspaper, except when it comes to Nixon, says, hey, look at this. They have a nutcracker tea at this fancy hotel for Christmas. And it's the Fairmont, which is very expensive. And Julie is hoping that this will kind of, like, lift up her sister's spirits. I think julie learns a very valuable lesson which is whatever problems you have you take them with you to an expensive venue this is why reality tv is funny
0: (laughs) yeah that's exactly true it reminded me of like a real housewives where they like go out to some fancy restaurant and then like in some cases Teresa flips a table and you're like wow i guess like we are ourselves in all places like new settings don't really change the calculus And with dad, it's like the parents are handling this very differently. The the mom is throwing her time at the problem of not being able to provide the same Christmas to her daughters. Like she's making ornaments with them. Like she seems like tuned into them. And dad is kind of throwing his money at the situation. Like (laughs) here's a puzzle. Here's a Nancy Drew book. Here's a recorder. And then like here's this fancy tea that my daughter is sort of like. Suggesting from nowhere, which you can't imagine, like that has to be that is not cheap.
1: No, and dad is willing to throw everything. He is willing to immediately get the three hot chocolates with the candy canes as the steers. You know, what really actually this made me think of was his connection to Kit's generation, right? Mm. And his connection to a generation that went through periods of great want and. Thinking about when Kit and Ruthie aren't going to have their tradition of the annual tea, this does also feel like American Girl product placement. Like, wouldn't you love to have an afternoon out, like feeling special and getting dressed up? What's so fascinating about this scene to me is that throwing money does not resolve anything, which is nope. counter to like the ethos of a company like American Girl, right? Like yes, dad exactly is willing to pull out the pocketbook as much as possible. And poor Julie is trying to be the emotional caretaker of everyone. And then Tracy says, I promised I'd come, but one day together doesn't magically make us a family again.
0: Who? yeah. I mean, she's not wrong.
1: She calls dad out while poor (laughs) sister Julie and dad are trying to like clink their little cups, which are like overflowing with whipped cream. Like Julie just will not, or sorry, Tracy will not. She has an outburst. You don't understand me at all. And then she knocks over a crystal water glass and runs away.
0: It's kind of a punk rock moment. Like you have to kind of respect that she can't be bought. And, you know, unlike Nixon's, uh, associates but you might say but <laughs> i mean i i think it's a very primal moment and it's like we're seeing something like a really a serious like emotional thing kind of come to a head and dad's response is sort of fascinating where he's like it's okay like Julie is like trying to vibe check like everybody and like as you say be the emotional regulator of the family which is wildly inappropriate that that's not being the parents should be calling this out and be like Julie like we're the parents we got it we appreciate that you're upset but (laughs) like feel your feelings but also like stop trying to fix because like you're not the parent. And instead, dad's like, no, it's cool. Like, you know, she needs to, she's upset. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's 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 a strange reaction.
1: It's an interesting scene because it doesn't fit a lot of the formulas that I think we've become used to. And even seeing like the moody older sister, I think is a trope in American Girl by this point. But they've also let us get 180 pages in without really knowing not whether Tracy is valid, but like why there is such a divergence between these two sisters, because it's very stark, right? Julie really is willing to kind of go along with whatever dad offers and Tracy is not.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about this, what it points out for me in the books is that we there's clearly such a difference in response where it would actually be helpful to have some memories come into julie's mind of like what she recalls about her parents relationship before the divorce because we have no we have no context for anything it's not even like we have julie's perspective it's sort of like we arrived on this doorstep and the families like the parents are divorced and we don't get to know why that happened which I guess is fine but it's like this whole plot line with Tracy versus Julie having very different responses you're kind of left to your own devices to like speculate wildly as we have been about what could possibly be causing these very different reactions and at the end of the day it's like I kind of feel like what the book wants you to decide is like well it's generational like Julie's younger so she's like more trusting or like more forgiving and Tracy's just like this moody teen as you're saying
1: And Julie really is kind of left to her own devices to make the most of the holiday. It seems like both the parents are content to some degree to let her spending really the remainder of her holiday vacation with the Lings, right? It's sort of Mm -hmm. like what her family can't provide is basically she's sent out and she is asked by her friend Ivy, I thought having two Christmases would be twice as good as one think again, said Julie. Well, around here, it's not so great either. And then we get this story about how Ivy's siblings are kind of like messing around with markers. How mundane that problem is kind of immediately calms Julie, who then spends the rest of her vacation, right? Just after Christmas, really getting intimate time with the Lings and learning their traditions. To me, this kind of upends the usual American Girl formula, which is, You know, family does something kind of folksy around a tree. There is the gift of a doll, but the doll comes from her friend. It does not come from her parents.
0: Right, right. And it's, yeah, I mean, I think like it's interesting that her, the friend's family becomes like their own character in the book. Like they become like very prominent in this book as. Really like at like they're very nurturing to Julie at a moment when she clearly needs it and aspirational in a lot of ways, not materially. Although they do provide her with a dress and a doll, but because of just like their connection, and we see this family that has a really strong history and a sense of their own history and their connection to each other and rituals around that, where they get together every year and celebrate Chinese New Year in a very specific way and we're see- like that throws into such strong relief that Julie's family has no shared rituals anymore and they like the history like like i was saying before i have no sense of this family's history at all
1: we learn right page 26 dad's house seemed drab and dreary compared to ivy's and what's changed right we learn that all the ornaments have been left behind at what's now dad's house, right? They didn't come along with the girls and their mother. What's so telling, right, is the fact that, like, dad simply didn't put in the effort, right? It's Mm -hmm. not that he didn't have the money or the tools. Like, he didn't bake the cookies. He didn't get the tree together. And the frustration that Ivy has with her family's holiday is just sort of, like, basic and relatable, right? There's a lot of cleaning. There's a lot of things that go into it. But everyone is kind of happy to be in it together, Mm -hmm. Ivy hands her friend a doll and she rips off the wrapping paper. She's so excited to see it. And I think it's an interesting diversion for this series to kind of say like this doll is also very much a way of saying Julie is welcome to kind of find sanctuary here whenever she needs it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does feel very protective or like, I'm. it doesn't feel like the other books where the doll, the entrance of the doll is like sometimes emotional, but it just sort of feels like a moment of consumption, like an uncomplicated moment of joy of like, oh, I got this doll.
1: Yeah, she has to say goodbye to Ivy later in that same chapter. And she says, I wish Christmas break would last forever because she doesn't want to go back to her home with her mother and her sister. She never seemed to get used to saying goodbye to her friend. Clutching her doll to her, she ran through the light rain to Dad's house. Um, Really, the only value of Dad's house at this point is that he's Ivy's neighbor.
0: <sighs> yeah. and it, <laughs> which is I mean, hard. Well, it's hard because it's also like as much as Julie is at least open to going to Dad's house in a way that Tracy kind of isn't, you don't really get a sense of, like, why she wants to go there for reasons that have anything to do with dad, because everything she says is like, I want to see my pet rabbit in Ivy. Like, that's it.
1: Yeah. And what did you make of Ivy's haircut? Like, do you think the that bob. this is oh my with, God. Like, the overall argument that, like, the haircuts are transformative? Like, she goes for it with the page boy.
0: Yeah, she really does. And I think she looks great in the illustration. She looks beautiful. And I love someone, like, basically, she says it's part of the tradition of Chinese New Year to, like, start fresh. Like, you clean your house top to bottom and, you know, like, get new clothes or whatever and, like, this new haircut. And I think, you know, I love someone who's willing to embrace, like, a fresh start and, you know, a bold haircut.
1: The two of them also look absolutely amazing in the outfits that they pick out together. I think this book strikes a really interesting balance between... If Julie had just kind of gone out on this adventure on her own, it might've felt a little bit voyeuristic, but we've Mm. built in at this point that she has been invited. It reminded me of the fun that Rebecca has with her cousin and her family when they go to Coney Island, which feels kind of like a subculture within the city that she knows so well. You, you get the sense, right, that like even when Julie is at the height of luxury, right, in this elite circle in the Fairmont, she's very uncomfortable. And this book tells you it doesn't matter how great the wrapping is. It doesn't matter how great the setting is if you're not with the right people, right? If you're not with exactly Ivy in this instance, it doesn't matter,
0: yes and i think that you kind of get that too from the fact that dad has an artificial tree like i think that that's supposed to mean something because they're like they're very into that where they're like no like we wanted a real tree like he also gets a mini tree which i'm like dad why are you cheaping out on the tree (laughs) like I don't know like i i just i apparently that's something that he would have grown up with because i was looking around like i don't know why i got into like when did artificial christmas trees happen but it's the 19th century in germany due to deforestation but not really in the u.s until like basically the 1950s and at a certain point they were made from the same brushes as toilet brushes which is like kind of like an insane visual haunting and dyed green but you know, like I think it's interesting that dad is like I'm kind of doing the best I can do and I'm just doing like small scale stuff and it's like he goes for a fake tree and they're like dreaming of a real tree. Like I think there's something there and maybe I'm just like I'm investing a lot in a tree, but what else is new? But, you know, in these books, I think you can read a lot into everything, but to your point about Julie immersing herself in this community. Like, I think it also doesn't feel voyeuristic to me because in the scene where they go, they're invited to the Chinese New Year dinner at Ivy's family's restaurant. And they invite her whole family because they say that Julie's been such a big help, like planning, which I don't know if we saw Julie helping, but it's a very nice gesture. And when Julie's there with her family, you can tell that she has spent a lot of time with Ivy's family. And it's very, like, she knows how to behave and how to like interact with you know like their holidays and their meals and their culture in a way that's very respectful and she's immediately like basically like tracy don't embarrass me and like signaling how to behave. And I think that that actually shows like the great respect she has for them, but also that she has her own history with them that goes way back. Like she's not here just like vacationing with their family. Like she has a very like lifelong relationship with them.
1: Julie also, I think is afraid to be fully honest about the contrast between her life and Ivy's right. Ivy is having a challenging morning right after Christmas because her siblings have decided to use new markers to, like, decorate the bathroom, shall we say? And, like, that's obviously very frustrating. Julie is afraid, as you're saying, that her family is going to have a blow-up, right? That her parents Mm -hmm. will fight or that her sister will confront her father. And Ivy gets off the phone, like, yes, I've nailed it. I've invited my best friend to this event. This will be the best Chinese New Year ever, Julie gets off the same phone call, immediately starts biting her fingernails. She's so nervous about everyone coming together. And she sort of asks herself, what if Tracy got upset with dad and made another scene? She couldn't bear to think about another ruined holiday. And thinking of yourself as a guest, right, and not wanting your family to embarrass you in some way. It's really very kind of a sad moment because you're thinking about how much Julie is carrying as a ten year old
0: yeah, actually like this that part of this book and that whole arc of this book made me so sad because I feel like you know there's no change over time that I'm seeing in these books of um like Julie's emotional like the weight that she's carrying about what's happening in the family, like it's just so sad like how much this child is taking on herself.
1: Her mother sees this and sees that she's visibly upset in the form of biting her fingernails. And mom's reply is As hard as it is being apart, it's not always easy being together, is it? And we're going to run into this the rest of our lives every time there's an important event. And that's where you kind of wish someone waved like their own like ping pong diplomacy moment to yes. say. Why are you setting her up for this being the expectation? Like, why did she have to break a finger for them to eat pizza together?
0: Yeah. I mean, yes, exactly. And and why isn't, and again, we're not privy to the conversations between mom and dad without the kids <laughs> being present. Like, obviously, mom tells the dad to buy Tracy that princess phone. Correct. Which felt kind of like dad trying to buy Tracy's love, which, like, whatever. Um, but You know, so they are having conversations, but why isn't, why aren't they having a conversation that's like, whoa, Julie is like biting her fingers off. Like she's so stressed out. We need to do a better job of not making our daughters manage like the emotional terrain of this new reality in our family. And like, we need to model that we can be around each other. Like it should not have taken like Ivy, like parent trapping them to have this (laughs) moment. Like that's how I feel.
1: Yeah, they needed Chinese New Year to be their new start. And honestly, it felt like dad was just sort of flexing how interesting his life is by noting, as you mentioned earlier, I haven't been to a Chinese banquet like this since I was in China back in 1971. And Mr. Ling is sort of like immediately peaked. If you think this family is not being followed, like, I have news for you.
0: Yep, 100%. I do
1: feel like dad giving his troublemaker daughter a phone, is it bugged? (laughs) Is it bugged? Julie got it from somewhere.
0: Well, I mean, he bought her the recording device, so it's like, what else (laughs) was he buying that day? I mean... You know, I think he, I could totally see dad being kind of a narc where he's like, I need to know what Tracy's saying about me. Like, I need to try to like get, win her affection back. Or it could just be like, he's bribing her where he's like, wow, this girl hates me and I really need to fix that. And I know she's desperate for her phone. So like one plus one equals two, like I'm going to buy her a phone, but it's just... It's really weird that like at dinner, Julie's like, be nicer to dad. And like Tracy's like, I'm not (laughs) saying anything to him. And she's like, exactly. And she's like, "Okay," And then like later, she's like, I told dad he could come to my next tennis match. And he said he's going to come. And it's like sinking feeling. Dad is not going to show up at your tennis match.
1: There is a thesis to all of this, which is that if we can get a handle on our sports, all of humankind will have their problems solved. We have ping pong diplomacy evoked directly on page 55. Mm-hmm. We have Tracy trying to solve family problems with the sporting invite. We have Julie's famous like basketball incident with the broken finger bringing the family together. This whole story like. It launches a thousand ships off of Julie knowing about Title IX. Why, you know, why the sports? I don't know. I think maybe that's kind of like the hill that they chose to build their mountain of the 1970s. That's my opinion.
0: I'm interested. I mean, I think there's something there is something going on here. I think it's just an interesting juxtaposition in this book that like Ivy goes from being not a major character. Like I would have loved, I like love what we're getting of Ivy in these books, but we go from like not a ton of Ivy to like knowing so much about her family and her family history. And I think it just kind of throws in juxtaposition. Like we don't really know anything about Julie's family's history at all. Like, I don't know what to make of all of this.
1: We don't. And we also get a sense that Ivy's family appreciates knowing about their family legacy in part because there were so many obstacles that they had to overcome. Um, And so when she's talking to her grandfather, right, like they're getting a little bit of that family backstory. I did find it striking with that in mind that we get probably the smallest you know early introductory portrait page that we've ever had which is we get julie her sister her parents and ivy and we've been treated before to extended family members so i kind of wondered like why are we being brought so into their world but not being given that same treatment when she becomes her own character she becomes a best friend in that line
0: mm-hmm yeah no i totally agree i don't really have an answer but it is strange
1: and Julie's really, like, takeaway from the dinner. At least Tracy didn't make a scene. Like, oh someone God. sit this person down and say, like, you are not your sister's keeper. Um, yeah. And she has this kind of moment of exasperation. Tracy, can't you be nicer to dad? She confronts her with this question because Tracy is basically not talking to dad. And they have this, like, back and forth, which leads to the tennis invite, but I also think Tracy is made to feel a little bit shamed. And it's like, what is the source of the tension? Tell us.
0: I would love to know. I mean, I've never wanted to read like a big sister's book in this series, in like a series more than this one, because like Tracy's got some tea and I, I need to know actually what happened here and like, what does she know and when did she know it? Because. And i also like think it's not fair of julie to constantly like you're saying be kind of trying to surveil and police tracy's feelings and her response because it's different than her own like julie seems to want to go right towards reunion and forgiveness and like she's both like having difficult feelings but is not mapping them onto either parent and the fact that tracy is is valid because everyone has a right to their own feelings and how they navigate something but it is interesting that julie's like no you're not allowed to feel this like if you feel this, I'll feel bad. So you have to like change how you feel so I can feel good.
1: Like she said what she said. She said what she said. And she
0: probably knows some stuff that Julie doesn't. It seems to, it seems to suggest like, I don't know. It, there, There's a lot going on there.
1: Now I had my own kind of like, ah, shocking moment. When I flipped to page 66 and I saw the photo of children in pajamas in the 1970s under the tree That was probably one of the more shocking things I've seen in these books. Not even, you know, the representation of the eighties and American girl world is extreme and very colorful. Right. And this looked like, you know, pajamas that people in my family would wear. And it was really shocking to me to see like, yeah, we're coming up so much closer to our lifetime and kind of the way that they're describing the holidays. I, I kind of wondered candidly, if the people making these books felt like okay that won't be different enough for our mainstream audience so we have to add in iv story because that will be different from what a lot of people will have experienced who are already in our consumer base
0: like the white girl consumer base doesn't know about chinese new year i mean yeah i i think that's a, a definitely a valid thought and i'm wondering like this is 2007 Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of diversity feedback have they received? I mean, they had not had an Asian character to this point. And, you know, she's not the main character here. She's the best friend. And it does feel kind of like a drop in to go from like zero to 100 in this book. And it is really fascinating. And like hearing her grandparents speak as they welcome guests to the dinner and like they kind of recall their family's history, which obviously is like based in Chinese exclusion. And like all of the forms of discrimination they faced and like creating this business and so on. And it's like, I want more of like, I was, when I read that I was thinking like, wow, it'd be great to read that book. Like the Ivy book. So
1: Ivy does have her own book in the same way that Ruthie was given a standalone book. So we will mm. have to read that for sure.
0: Yeah. We'll have to read that for sure because I would love that history but you know it is kind of it does make you wonder with the peek into the past like if they're like oh like what would white girls not know about like that wouldn't seem that would seem foreign to their experience in a way that like this picture of kids in pajamas that you could buy at target today would not and it you know i do think like the chinese new year of it all especially with the san francisco context of like the biggest parade in the like country et cetera, you know probably seemed like or motivated that choice
1: It does show you, right, within the same city, she has this experience going to the Fairmont, right, which is kind of like one pocket of the city. And then she has this whole other set of experiences in Chinatown. It did feel organic, right, that like as a little girl who has a best friend who's from a different ethnic background, that the two of them can kind of navigate this together in a way that's really meaningful I think that American Girl, this is the time that they were experimenting the most with the best friend as kind of a standalone character. Mm -hmm. They tried to reverse engineer Elizabeth to be something she wasn't from the Felicity books. Hmm. The most obvious way was that they made her blonde. They made her literally look different. But I think that this book shows kind of one of the coolest sense of awareness of they wanted to make Ivy her own person. And Unlike with Mari Grace and Cecile, where it was like, okay, wait, where are we going? What are we doing next? It was neat to go from her mother's house, which is also a shop, to her father's house, to Ivy's house, to Chinatown, and to say, yeah, you know, like one person could have actually had all of these experiences. I I actually kind of really enjoyed that. And it felt like a proper representation of a place and time as opposed to something shoehorned in.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think actually the contrast works because it is like drawing out the difference in their family situation and their family culture. But I think there's also like a broader cultural difference of like Ivy comes from a family with a very rich cultural tradition that's very Mm -hmm. active and it's like purposefully carried forward. And you could kind of make the argument that like Julie's family is sort of like a history of whiteness. Like they have no culture that's like endemic to them. Like they've lost... Like how many generations into America is their family that they don't have like those kind of traditions in the same way that like Kirsten, you know what I mean? Like has the St. Lucia Day, like what's like, I do think that's an interesting juxtaposition.
1: You're also, I think, to your point about them really harping on the tree, right? And the way that mom tries to save the day and dad is kind of like, this is what you're getting. The way that they are so easily able to watch their traditions be upended. Whereas, you know, Ivy complains about having to clean, but it's a non-negotiable in her family that they maintain that tradition. And I think that for American girl to show those two things side to side in one book is very different.
0: It's very different. But I think on the flip side, you could also say like subtly ending the book with a fortune cookie. Like, obviously it's helpful to like literally hit you over the head with like the lesson of the book about... Mm. You know, like I guess, like growing pains, or I forget what the fortune is, but it's basically like you know, it it hurts to cut new teeth, or I don't know what the fortune is. It's something that means like something in that wheelhouse, let's say. But it's interesting because you could also read that as like, okay, so Ivy's family serves fortune cookies in a Chinese restaurant, which are actually invented in Japanese culture and are only like in Chinese restaurants in the United States because it's like an Americanized thing. So it's like. Are we? can we also read that as like Ivy's family is also like American girl?
1: Yeah, because they've definitely adapted, right? And I think it's one of the more interesting moments. This was making me think a lot about Mary Ellen, right? And Mary Ellen doesn't feel seen by her parents and her siblings. So she kind of longs for the one-on-one attention of her grandparents who also have a real Christmas tree. They really want you to have a they real Christmas tree. They want you to have that tree. real tree, And I think a lot of the surprise books are about what are the lengths you have to go to to be seen in the form of gift giving and what are the things you have to be doing as a young person to really be seen by the adults around you. And I don't think it's until she's kind of out of her family that Julie feels as though adults are kind of properly paying attention to her in this book.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I also think it's interesting that like Julie makes gifts um for her family and like you know that that's really valued so again it's sort of upending the brand of like you should buy stuff and yet she's making things and that's where she's making meaning but yeah there's a lot going on it's making me think like i've actually never had a real christmas tree i grew up in a house with an artificial christmas tree and now like i just moved and i'm like should i try a real tree like i don't know like i don't know if i can handle it
1: so i grew up with like real christmas trees that we would go and we would cut down. And I liked it. I mean, it makes the house smell really pleasant, if that's a smell that you like. I think you can also get a candle that approximates that. Depends on what, you know, you are actually looking to get out of the experience. Gerald and Betty Ford, just to bring us back to them, they were recommending Cornhus Dolls and the Clothespin Cardinal and other kinds of like homemade things for gifts and that kind of got me down the path of okay well what would a doll have cost right in this time period and in my process of looking for articles about dolls i came across a really not so charming editorial i guess i could say in a san francisco newspaper from christmas 1975 and it's just like dripping with sarcasm about girlish voices and that women are irritating when they talk about politics and it mentions a doll which is why it came up in my searching Hmm. and i just have to assume that julie albright avid news gal read this
0: I mean, I hope she read it and wrote a very stern letter to the editor vis-a-vis Kit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Or Meghan Markle. (laughs) She was like, I don't like this representation. Change Um, it. This also got me to some articles about inflation, right? So they were going through similar times to us. Um, This man, Andrew Tully, writes... That's a hard year looming ahead. I'm not sure I want to be left alone in the same room with a female once the presidential campaign heats up. Oh,
0: my God. Wow.
1: You know when when
0: someone says female that you're going to get some
1: gold. (laughs) This is just like a good tip for all of us. The worst type may be the girl who is both intelligent and efficient, who has done her homework. Get into a friendly discussion with this one, and she keeps flooring you with snappers like, Indeed. Indeed. Are you aware <laughs> of the way Senator It voted on, you know, and it goes on and on. We are in such lousy shape. Couldn't we postpone 1976? You know, Andrew, I have bad news for you. Like, the bicentennial is coming for us all. Julie is going to go on an environmental campaign, and she will not be silenced.
0: I can't wait for environmental activist Queen Julie to show herself. I mean, what does that even look like? I mean, it's like, look out, Captain Planet. Like, here comes Julie.
1: (laughs) Ivy has a haircut for days. Julie now has a doll that she adores. Is this family going to come to some kind of collective peace by book six?
0: I think what's going to happen is like a wasp piece where they sort of like on the surface are like, we love each other. Everything's cool. And then like privately, like they have feelings that they don't work out or resolve.
1: Mm, I think that's true. I think that's true. I'm not feeling super confident that this is all going to get resolved. It's just going
0: to be a lot of like Tracy, like sitting in her room with headphones on, listening to cats in a cradle, like on a loop. And she's like, damn it, dad.
1: Author Megan McDonald put out a list, 10 Things You May Not Know About Me, and these are things that we absolutely could not have known about her, Uh one of which is that her favorite color is purple, which is also my Hmm. power couple. I think that number seven goes far in explaining something about this book that's deep, and number eight explains something that is a fun tangent. She has read all the Nancy Drew books in order, which I love. Respect. There's an Auntie Drew gift moment in this book. Number seven, I used to collect scabs so I could examine them under the microscope that I got for my eighth birthday. That's what he says a lot about, like, the intellectual landscape that Julie occupies, where, like, is she not always inspecting scabs under the microscope of her mind?
0: You know, she's. you could say these books are a lot of navel-gazing, or you could say it's like we're excavating wounds, not unlike the author of this book, I guess.
1: Yeah, I love it. Like, I have to say, like, I love this series. Like, I'm very excited to see where Julie is going to go. But yeah, this is a family that could do with a sit down. That's never going to happen.
0: This house ain't no home. And, (laughs) you know, like, we all need to just, like, accept that and maybe listen to some Fleetwood Mac or something. Like, I don't know. But, like, people are having feelings. That's okay. I'm all the way here for this series. Like, it's one of my favorites. I'm really loving it.
1: Here is my hope. Dad leaves the girls in this family who are for sure, now adult women, some really good real estate, and that helps to justify the years he spent away doing ping pong diplomacy. That's my opinion.
0: Whoo! yep. Yep, game set match. Bye, Dad. <laughs>
1: um, we are next reading Julie and the Eagles, which I'm pretty excited about because... Gosh darn it, Julie, I never know where you're headed.
0: I never know where you're headed, and I hope that her relationship <laughs> with eagles as is as intense as Dolly Parton, who has written multiple songs in which she imagines herself as an eagle, oh. and also just like maps a lot of feelings onto eagles. And from what I've heard, I've still not been to Dollywood, there is a refuge there for eagles who can no longer fly, which, you know, again, feels like a metaphor that I can't emotionally handle tonight, but... We'll see. I mean, I hope it's not as bleak in the next book.
1: No, I think Julie is going to save the planet. She's going to stop climate change dead in its tracks. Like cool. Greta Thornburg never even has to walk out of school. If Al people Gore doesn't ta- have
0: to invite, invent the Internet.
1: <laughs> no, we don't even have a show. So Thanks, Great. Julie. Perfect. If people do want to find you on the Internet, on Instagram, like what's the best way for them to connect with you there?
0: So feel free to find me at Mimi Mahoney, and I love hearing from people. And I do feel bad, like public apology. I let a lot of DMs like like stack up, and then I sat myself down and was like, "Today's the day," and I wrote everybody back, and I really do delight in it. So p- please feel free to reach out. And Allison, where can people find you and find the show?
1: I'm at Allison Harks on Instagram, and Dolls of Our Lives podcast has a website a PO box you can find us on Instagram you can find us all over i feel like julie would be hot on linkedin like even though she knows that there are like some issues with the platform like i feel like she would be there because she's doing work for greenpeace and i respect that like i'm also there but like to no end so
0: technically i'm on linkedin but i don't i still don't understand it and i refuse to learn so i don't know i feel bad like every once in a while i get all these notifications that are like congrats on your work anniversary and i'm like i don't (laughs) want to celebrate this anniversary like let's not romanticize work but anyway that's another whole topic um but yeah this has been a delight and i'm really loving these books genuinely i hope we get some disco i mean i don't know like i have a lot of like high hopes for the 70s of it all the aesthetic the culture to come through but I don't know. We'll see. I don't know where this is going, but I'm excited to see where it's, you know, going to end up. And if you want more information about our book or book events or the audiobook or the Patreon or merch or anything like that, please check out our website. Thanks to everyone who's joined our Patreon so far. We love our community on Discord and all the events we're having. We're going to have a Casper watchathon sometime next month. Please join us for that if that interests you. And thanks so much for listening. Go, go, go.